In just one generation, the internet connected people across the globe. And now, slow news days are a thing of the past. It's a lot to keep track of, but WHIP has you covered with local, national, and international stories. Join us for a rational look at a complex world. This is Rational Radio on WHIP. <laughs> it's Rational Radio on WHIP. You heard it there. Tony, Big Fish Pearson himself. Uh, you're listening to us, of course, on WHIP Radio, Philly's number one college radio station. Um, <laughs> <laughs> today's broadcast uh, is going to be a fun one. There's only two of us in the booth. Hello. Hello. Hi, guys. I'm Amelia. I'm Amelia, thank you. Um, uh, and and Amelia is, is part of the Monday squad. Um, yeah, this is a special edition of Wednesday's episode for you guys. <laughs> yeah, we got some Amelia DLC for you all. Um, <laughs> the other people couldn't make it. Everyone's really sick they right were, now. They were both very so, sick yeah. with uh, with throat infections, which is the part that you need for the radio. Yeah, it's like the one thing you need to be on air. So. Right, right. So they couldn't make it in, but we're here. We're bringing the memes. We're going to talk about some news. Uh, if, we, if, we, if we get bored with <laughs> Probably just stop. There's, there's a really low bar set here. Um, all right, look, let's talk about something interesting that I heard about today. It's a pretty recent development in the war on drugs, a pretty major one. And for those fans of Narcos on Netflix, uh, you're really going to want to hear about this. El Chapo has been found guilty. Yes, that's guilty with a capital G, and the rest of the word is capital as well. Uh, he's been found guilty on every count levied against him, and he now faces life in prison. Now, um, El Chapo, whose actual name is, uh, oh man, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. I'm sorry in advance. Uh, <laughs> Joaquin Guzman Lo- Loera, Loera, L-O-E-R-A. Um, he was the head of the Sinaloa cartel, which imported tons of narcotics from sources in South America into the United States. So he was uh, recently extradited to the United States last year, and he was held in New York City in detention. His trial wrapped up recently, and he was found super guilty, very guilty. Uh, I don't think anybody was surprised that he was found guilty. Yeah, even was, um, his his lawyers even said that he wasn't surprised. Yeah, and it was um guilty on all ten counts, I believe. All ten counts. I'm sure. I'm surprised that they only you know, hit him with 10 counts. Yeah, me too. But considering that one of those counts, one of those is literally like uh, you're running the Sinaloa cartel. Like that's that's it. Yeah. So <laughs> he did nine other things apparently besides just running, <laughs> I guess like traffic tickets or something. But um, so he he's now, he's in the hole. He's not getting out. Of course, his lawyers are going to appeal. Uh, but there's absolutely no way that he's going to get out I say that now, but I I bet in like seven months we're gonna see that he escaped from prison. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised just knowing his track record. I feel like as soon as um as soon as you think it's all over, he just manages to slip out. Yeah, he's like a magician. Although and he and he's escaped twice. I think the yeah. first time the first time it was like comical. He he was wheeled out in a laundry bin. In a prison laundry Wait, bin. Wait, was he actually? Yeah, he was actually. He was like underneath some linens, and they just pushed him out of the prison. But the second time, uh, if people remember, he actually had. This is so, like, cool of him 
to break out of prison like this. He had an entire tunnel built into his cell that had motorbike access and air conditioning and lighting. And that's how he got out. He rode a motorcycle out of prison. Well, he was driven on a motorcycle out of prison. So this guy, a really cool guy. Obviously, he's a really bad guy as well. Um, A lot of things came up. Uh, Some of the evidence at his trial were... I, I mean, over like 30 mor- murders that he personally was like, okay, this person needs to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got him. All this evidence was basically collected through wiretapping. And they also, they had, I think, over over 20 um, witnesses for the prosecution that actually worked with him. So they got a lot of people to flip on El Chapo, which yeah. is surprising because, you know, people who... Uh, rat on the cartels tend to end up dead. So mm-hmm. it was surprising to see so many people come out of the woodwork to, you know, kind of make sure that he gets put away. Um, but I'm really happy that the verdict came back and he is. Uh, I honestly don't think he's going to be able to escape from American prison. I'm not um, sure. Do you think also for the witnesses and the people who testified against him, do you think that they're being offered any protection by the U.S. for testifying? Incentivized? Um, well, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I'm sure that they must have uh, some arrangement with the U.S. government mm-hmm. um, because some of these people were like workers in the cartel, you know? Right. Like, like I guess not co-workers, but employees of his. Um, and certainly in order to get a member of the Sinaloa cartel to discuss the cartel activities in open court, you know, uh, I'm sure the DEA offered some sort of deal, yeah. um, but I guess time will tell to see if they are able to evade the long arm of the cartel. Um, although I'm not actually certain. I mean, obviously they're going to be mad that they, you know, betrayed them, but I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, lieutenants of El Chapo who are happy that there's now a power vacuum that they can exploit. So. Mm-hmm. You know, part of me wonders, you know, how complicit was the cartel in arranging this evidence? You know, there's a lot of skullduggery, um, backroom dealings that go on with uh, shady criminal organizations like this. So Mm -hmm. to uh, it's not a far far flung, far flung idea to uh, say that some people in the cartel were complicit in this uh, this legal coup. It's really. Surprising. I mean, he was on the run for, I think, like almost two decades. Yeah, something like that. He was originally put away on murder, and then he escaped. And then after that, he was a fugitive for for a while. But um, it was a really hard-won legal battle to actually even get him extradited to the United States. Mm-hmm. We needed to guarantee that we wouldn't um, execute him. Right that, right. that there was no chance of the state finding him, you know, sentencing him to death. Because uh, apparently a lot of people around the world don't think that uh, executions are good. You know, uh, I don't know where they got that <laughs> weird idea from. Got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Um, but but yeah, that was a major that was a major sticking point in the extradition treaty. And I think it was important for them to get him out of Mexico because he owns Mexico. Yeah. Right? OK, the 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 people who are in control of the narco empires down there. They bribe so much. They Mm -hmm. give so much to the politicians down there. So widespread, 
you know, how do you think he escaped from jail twice? You know, that exactly. wasn't that was that was definitely, you know, done with money passing hands, you know, with guards mm-hmm. and with prison wardens and with, you know, people in the government to allow that to happen. But now that he's in the United States, uh, they haven't said where he'll be incarcerated, but I'm willing to bet that that's going to be ADX Florence, which uh, if there's not a lot of uh, federal prison fans listening to the show is the maximum, maximum, ultra, super duper secure facility. It's called the Alcatraz of the Rockies. Uh, that's where we put the Unabomber. That's where we put uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the dude who did 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where we put people um, if we don't want them to ever, like, get out. Right. You know, that's like 23-hour-a-day lockdown. Your cell's just a concrete room. You get You get to talk to a lawyer, like, once a month. It's like minimal contact with the outside so he won't be able to actually you know control his cartel mm-hmm. from inside the walls of prison which was a problem that uh the authorities faced when he was in prison in mexico because of like i said all of the rampant corruption so but i mean also at this point i don't even know if that's going to be a problem because it's um the article at least was talking about how even though he's been on trial like his the cartel's activity has still been continuing because like the legacy of his sons and like the people who have already been in the process of taking over for him so i mean just because we got el chapo doesn't mean that we have like the cartel's gonna crumble now right yeah it's certainly he wasn't the single like unifying force behind the cartel it wasn't you know entirely his brainchild it's it's very much a bureaucracy Mm -hmm. the way you know any group of people that large has to work with a bureaucracy and if you pick if you take out the person at the top it's not like cutting the head off a snake you know uh the the little pieces underneath him are still they can be autonomous um Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you know i'm not aware of the internal power struggles with the sinaloa cartel off the top of my head, Same. but I'm sure that there were four or five maybe uh, candidates, if you mm-hmm. will, people who were, you know, noticed uh, that he got picked off and were like, OK, I have a I have a claim to stake here. I can I can take over. I can run things. So but, you know, that is interesting uh, that you bring that up, that there's now, you know, sort of this power vacuum that exists, but the cartel is still able to operate. So it's a good, it's a good headline. It's good PR for the war on drugs, for the DEA, uh, for the U S government, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I do have to, you know, question out loud how effective this is actually going to be when all of the mechanisms for, uh, transporting drugs into this country for producing drugs, um, are still there. Right. Yeah, because it kind of feels like they took out a megaphone, but they didn't really address the problem that much. That's yeah, that's a very good way of uh, looking at the situation. It's uh, addressing. It's a good strategy to go after the top people. I guess you know it's the it's the idea that you know if we can if we can show that uh, nobody is untouchable, mm-hmm. you know people are going to be I guess afraid to do this. But yeah. I don't really think the, the the people who are doing this are afraid of the government. <laughs> so I have to doubt the efficacy <laughs> of it. But um, if he managed to escape prison twice, I don't think that he's that afraid. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you have people who are looking to like cut your eyes out and yeah. leave you dead in the desert, you know, what's what's life in prison? Mm-hmm. Like that's <laughs> way worse getting uh, executed in the middle of the desert. Uh, 
And I think the thing that fascinates me most about all of this is just how intense his trial was, just in terms of like all the witnesses who came forward and everything. Like I heard that one of them, um, during her testimony, she also managed to confess that she was head over heels in love with him, like with his wife standing like three feet away. Oh yeah, that was his mistress. Yeah. He got his mistress on the stand, yeah. Um, it was definitely a circus at some points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think at one point also they... Uh, he and his wife somehow coordinated to wear the same like. It red... was a um a red velvet smoking jacket. Right, right. Which is like, how do you, how did you how did you do I that? I don't know, but he's he's just that's the little minor flex. That's the only flex that he can have in this yeah, case. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, ha! I can still talk to people on the outside, and <laughs> the Bureau of Prisons is just wringing its hands together, being like, oh, wait till we get there. <laughs> you won't be doing much talking. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, El Chapo is put away now. Uh, you can tell your kids to come out. The boogeyman is gone. He's not going to get him. Uh, um, June 25th is the official sentencing trial. June so. 25th. Uh, he's definitely going to get life in prison. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, I would like to be there for his parole hearings. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he won't get uh, the possibility of parole, but... In 25 years, if he's you know eligible for parole, I would love to be on that parole board, <laughs> look at his file and be like, <laughs> just laugh, you know, audibly laugh. I think, I, I mean, they have to, you know, obviously consider him, but there's there's no way he's getting out of prison, no. unless he somehow bribes people in the U.S. I don't know. I I don't think that that's gonna happen though. I think he's put away for good. So, El Chapo, we'll good see. run, good run while it lasted, but. Uh, Long arm of the law caught up with you. Rest in peace. Yeah. That's one way to say it. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. You won't catch me saying that to his face though. That's <laughs> a bit disrespectful. Cartel, uh, please, I'm worthless. Don't come after me. <laughs> you'll have to cut my head off, and you'll get blood on your shoes, and it's just a messy business. Um, all right, that's all I really care to talk about El Chapo because he's, you know, I don't really care that much about him. He's gone now, so. Uh, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll be talking about something else. Stay tuned. From WHIP News, I'm Amelia Winger. Today is Wednesday, February 13th, and this is your WHIP News Update. President Trump appears ready to accept the new bipartisan border security funding proposal despite being unsatisfied with it, according to the New York Times. In a cabinet meeting on Tuesday, Trump stated that he was, quote, not happy with the deal because he will only be receiving $1.375 billion in funding for physical barriers rather than the $5.7 billion he originally demanded. However, he followed the statement by saying that he was, quote, thrilled with the direction the overall border negotiations were heading, especially since the proposal promises him $23 billion for overall border security. Trump stated that he will move funding around from various other departments in order to finance the wall even without explicit congressional approval and believes the government will not face another shutdown. The Philadelphia Department of Human Services came under fire in a hearing on Tuesday for lacking objective guidelines within the foster care system, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. City Councilman David O has been trying since September to implement a resolution with more objective guidelines for when child abuse is presented to the agency. O is primarily concerned with defining reasonable suspicion, which is the threshold that mandated reporters use to decide to report suspected abuse. However, DHS Commissioner Cynthia Figueroa questioned the legitimacy of the resolution since the city has no authority to alter the guidelines for reporting abuse because they're set at the state level. From WHIP News, I'm Amelia Winger, and this has been your WHIP News Update. And we're back. 
Uh, it's Rational Radio. You know what you're listening to on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. Coming back a little early, you're getting an extra 30 seconds of talk time here. That's, this is uh, a real blessing, guys. That's this a major, is like a big deal. That's a major deal. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a good deal. Maybe the best deal uh, in the history of deals. Um, <laughs> God, I love I we love. We should've been on the committee for border security since we're so good at making this. <laughs> I I love Trump's diction and syntax. The words that he chooses are so. Authentic, um, <laughs> <laughs> representative of his brand. I had to, I had to be really careful about what I said there. There were about uh, a million responses in my head, and I had to, I would have had to bleep out like ninety nine percent of them. Um, all right, we have actually haven't talked about the president at all. Uh, obviously, you haven't heard us talk about him, but we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about him now, um, in reference to specifically North Korea. So, uh, Army General Robert Abrams testified before Congress on Tuesday, and he basically gave Congress an update on North Korea and uh, the latest information that we have regarding their long push for nuclearization. Now, he feels optimistic about the uh, the meeting that's going to happen later this month in Hanoi in uh, Vietnam. Uh, for those who aren't in the know, Trump and Kim, round two, they're yeah, gonna, second they, date, guys. Second date. Hey, it's a, it's shaping up. They're a little late though for second <laughs> date. It's like eleven months later. But um, yeah, they're gonna meet up again in uh in Vietnam, and they're going to talk and have a beer maybe. Uh, so he's optimistic that uh, Kim is interested in meeting Trump again, but he wants to remind everybody that there's actually no evidence that North Korea has. Uh, abandoned its nuclear ambitions yet. Um, now, granted, it has been 440 days and counting since the last missile test, um, and also tensions have cooled down at the DMZ. Uh, forces have been uh, kind of scaled back, and, and tensions are basically kind of low. It's at a low point right now. But uh, there's an important quote here. Um, it is, however, too soon to conclude that a lower profile is indicative of lesser risk. So, you know, I think that's very important to remember here. Just because stories about their nuclearization are not in the news anymore, Mm -hmm. just because the 24-hour media cycle is not aggressively pushing this onto all of us, um, it's important to remember that, you know, if we can't see it and we can't hear it and we can't feel it, it still might be happening. We're just blind to it. And currently, there is no way to independently verify uh, the progress of the denuclearization uh, of the peninsula. Of course, uh, state media in North Korea has been pretty adamant about pushing the images of the detonation of their uh, nuclear research bunker in that mountain, uh, you know, where they blew up all those nukes. Yeah. Um, they, They... Brought a whole slew of uh, foreign press people in and blew them up, but that's what they're showing us, not what you know mm-hmm. might actually be happening somewhere else in the in the nation. So, I am curious. You know, we've got this big issue, which is North Korea. Just it's fundamental to their um, defensive doctrine that they need to get nuclear weapons as quickly as possible. Let's make no mistake about it. 
Kim and his high-ranking generals and basically the party attaches in Pyongyang know that if they don't have this weapon, if they aren't on the same level as the other quote-unquote superpowers, then they're going to get bullied. That's the way that they're thinking about it. And they're still stuck in that, well, let's be honest, that Korean War mentality of uh, we are at war, we are a nation under siege from the South. Um, You know, the capitalists have taken over half of our homeland and uh, we're fighting for our survival, we're fighting for our way of life. So to think that, um, you know, six hours of talking to Trump would get the entire nation of North Korea to diverge from their path towards nuclearization mm-hmm. is uh, overly optimistic. Let me put it that way. They really want those nukes. And with some help from Iran, maybe they will get those nukes. Right. Yeah. Um, there is, of course, a major like it's, it's a problem. We've, we've been unable to intercept a lot of the research materials and the actual the fissile material that we need to um they we, we just have no real idea like what they're doing so i think that the assessment that general abrams gave uh to congress i think that was pretty good you know he's it's he's he's cautious he's optimistic but he's cautious mm-hmm. and i think that's how uh everybody needs to be because I think, too, like right now, Trump is using North Korea to make it seem it's like a Band-Aid for him to make it seem like he has something together and to make himself look like just like more put together in general. So I'm curious to see, like, with this meeting coming up, how that's going to expose any of the cracks in his foreign policy agenda right now, just because I don't know, like, I feel like it's 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 like a Band-Aid for him that he's relying on. So I'm curious to see if there's like this massive dam underneath that it's been like loosely holding together. Right. And I I totally understand his uh, enthusiasm to mm-hmm. um, fix the tensions on the peninsula. Um, you know, if he was able to have a legacy as the president who ended the Korean War, that would be, you know, obviously that would be good to record for posterity. So, absolutely. you know, his goals in, you know, getting North Korea to stop its nuclearization process are commendable. It's what, you know, the president should be doing. But I'm just nervous. He seems to think that it's going better than the intelligence reports indicate. Mm-hmm. And that is where the danger lies because, you know, it's it's nice to say that you're, you're buddy-buddy with, with Kim, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you don't really have a complete picture of what's going on. Not even our intelligence people know what's going on because there's no, I mean, how are you going to get information from inside North Korea? Yeah, like I won't feel comfortable about this until there's evidence and I don't think that there's a chance of getting evidence. Unless North Korea totally, you know, pulls a 360 and opens up its borders and stops being a pariah state. Yeah. Um, Doubtful. You're going to need a coup for that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> CIA, get cracking on that. Um, and you're not going to erase that type of decades-long legacy in the span of a single meeting, like 11 months later or whatever it is. That's such a good point because this is a, you know, the the ideology that the the North Korean regime has, has pushed upon the citizenry of North mm-hmm. Korea. It's been, you know, 70 years of we are at war. Mm-hmm. You know, your existence is threatened by the West. You will be killed and your whole family will be enslaved uh, if you don't, you know, support the state in keeping us free. So, you know, 
the amount of deep programming that would be required literally deprogramming these people because they've been you know brainwashed by mm-hmm. this authoritarian um dictatorship um it, yeah to to suggest that the the entire um defensive doctrine of that nation will be turned around because of a couple meetings i think it's going to take a lot more than that um i would actually not be surprised if North Korea simply refuses to give up on its nuclear ambitions. Yeah. Um, and at that point, the United States and the rest of the international community needs to consider, you know, okay, these they're, they're not going to give up. They're going to continue researching and continue this nuclear prolifer- proliferation program. God, that's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> they're going to continue this program, and they're going to, um, you know, get these weapons what are we going to do about it? That's the thing that I think has been bothering me so much about this because I feel like Trump is using it as a resume filler of sorts because if he was serious about making this, like if he was serious about enacting major and sustainable change with North Korea, then he would be making a priority within his administration, like um, his administration's agenda right now. But he isn't. And so... um, Shoot, I just totally lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. But um, I guess he just um, if he needs to find other solutions with it, and so because he's choosing not to make this his priority within his agenda, then he needs to find another way of looking about it. Because he does this thing where he gets so he has such tunnel vision when it comes to the solutions that he offers that he refuses to look at any alternatives, and I think it's turning into that again. Right. Uh. And and certainly, you know. I'm going to use that word again, deprogramming uh, all of the North Korean populace to realize that, you know, what they've been living under, that's going to take more than, you know, this, this, the diplomatic initiatives. Um, we're going to have to see, I'll be a lot more optimistic when I see North Korea opening itself up to f- like private enterprise the way mm-hmm. that China has done. I'll be more interested in hearing what they have to say when they're, uh, willing to kind of get rid of the xenophobia that mm-hmm. they've been, you know, the perpetual xenophobia that they've been experiencing this entire time. If we can just get them to like, they're like a, they're like a hedgehog that's curled up in a ball right now. They're just like <laughs> pointing quills. Spiky. They're just spiky, h- tough to handle. You know, uh, we need to get them to kind of like let their guard down. You know, and just be like, Shh, it's okay, it's okay. We're not gonna, we're not gonna wipe you out. We could, but we're not gonna. You know. <laughs> Uh, just, Not unless you wipe us out first. <laughs> just chill out and take this democracy and take this uh, foreign capital and uh, integrate yourself into the world market and uh, yeah, and everything will be good. That's what mm-hmm. we need to say to them. But it's going to be very difficult to convince that nation uh, that it's actually on a dangerous path. You know, mm-hmm. I am nervous about what's going to happen to the Korean Peninsula in the next fifty years. I think within my lifetime, I'm going to see. Um, a re- renewal of hostilities. I honestly think that I do because I don't, I don't see the, uh, you know, the entire like imperial cult behind Kim. Mm-hmm. I don't see the, the trajectory that North Korea is on right now diverging. Um, I think they're going to continue to pursue nuclear weapons, and I think that uh, the international community is going to wise up and be like, okay. You know, this can't happen. Rogue states with nukes is a recipe mm-hmm. for, you know, craters. So 
And I mean, I think it's similar also to what we were talking about before with the cartel in the sense that um, we, we're we getting and we're talking to the figurehead right now, but we're not tackling the entire like unit behind him. Mm-hmm. And so until we can figure out how to talk and communicate with the entire unit, then it's not going to be sustainable. Yeah. And as it stands right now, North Korea is so closed off and so tightly controlled that there's no... Um, you know, there are not a lot of opportunities to do that, you know, to mm-hmm. to reach out and connect with people and show people that the, you know, quote unquote, imperialist forces of the United States, you know, we're really not we're not trying to annihilate them. You know, mm-hmm. if we really, really felt like it, we would we could just, you know, put an army in South Korea and roll right over the DMZ. And I mean, China wouldn't like that. We'd probably have a repeat of the Korean War. But like if we wanted to bring war, we could do it, you know. So if we wanted to, you know, like eradicate them with nuclear weapons, we easily like that's within our power. But like we're not trying to do that. We just want to make sure that nobody gets bombed. Nobody, you know, it it doesn't need to be so, so tense. I think I think uh, all of North Korea needs like a, a neck massage. I think they're just too tense. They're just, uh, they're just, they're just, they're just. Hedgehogs and neck massages. That's the solution to this problem. (laughs) And neck massages. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's such a abysmal situation. Uh, both sides of the border are just so afraid of one another. Mm -hmm. Um, and certainly South Korea feels the same existential threat posed by the North. You know, they're like, uh, it's, it's, you know, to steal an idea from Eastern philosophy, it's yin and yang, you know, night and day on either side of the border. So I guess the it's a normal reaction to have that sort of existential crisis over, you know, seeing the enemy that close. But at the same time, I think people just need to kind of back off and chill out. And Kim, stop brainwashing your people. You should stop doing that too. That's that's not very that's not very free of you. That's not very nice. Call of you. him out directly. He is definitely listening to us right now. <laughs> Chairman Kim, if you're listening to this broadcast, first of all, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, and I don't think he speaks English. So. Uh, <laughs> it's a waste. Um, good lord, what a joke. You know what? We should invite him onto the show. I think that'd be a great we interview. Should, we should get him in here and we should grill him. We should get D- Trump and Kim. We on can sit here. down. We, it'd be like um counseling. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's <laughs> not a lot of space in here and it's kind of it's kind of hot in here, but uh, I'm sure they wouldn't mind it. I'm sure they'd be able to. I'm sure they've been in way worse. Hash out their problems. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Trump's been in, in worse. He, he's used to the lap of luxury. That's true. And Kim has an entire economy supporting his uh you know personal discretionary spending. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, ultra-rich people arguing uh, what's different. That's politics for you. Um, We're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm going to leave you some gorillas. Uh, When we come back, we'll be talking about something totally different. Stay tuned. I don't want to spoil the surprise, winky face. You heard it there. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a good thing to invest in. That message brought to you by banks. Uh, welcome back to the program, everybody. You know what it is. It's Rational Radio. You're listening to us on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. I didn't even need to look at the board to say that. I just kind of, I'm, I'm programmed now. Um, program now. Congratulations, WHIP. You have a new, you have a new slave. Uh, it's part of your brand at this point. You might as well get a tattoo on your forehead. <laughs> Property of 
W H I P. That would be that's yeah, that is a good idea. Um, <laughs> all right. So I before the break, I teased everybody listening. I was like, hey, you're gonna want to really stick around for this next super secret story. Um, it's such a secret. I don't even know what we're talking about. I had this story on uh, Catalonia, uh, the basically this place in Spain. They want to become independent and. Spain saying no, and the rest of the international community is kind of shrugging their, shrugging their shoulders. Uh, but then I realized, like, I, no, nobody, nobody cares. Uh, sorry to be blunt. Sorry for all my uh, Catalonia fans out there, but uh, I couldn't even finish the the write up on the rundown. So that's how I know that that's like eh, bad news. But uh, we do have a save, though, because there's something big happening tomorrow. Yeah, and we're not talking about Valentine's Day either. Um, It's a little bit more somber than that. But um, last year, on February 14th, 2018, was the Parkland School shooting. And so it will be the one-year anniversary tomorrow. One year. You know, I actually, I feel so bad about this, but I, I, I thought it was two years ago. So hearing that it was only one year ago, it's like, wow, a lot has happened in the past 365 days. And I think it's because there's been so many school shootings since then that it feels like it should be impossible that it was only a year ago because it's been so much crammed into such a short period of time. That's, that's true. We do have sort of a, I'm going to use the word epidemic. Uh, to describe our, our rash of uh, gun violence and specifically school shootings, I would say it has reached epidemic proportions. And uh, it certainly is a public health crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, people are, uh, let's, let's, you know, beyond the fact that people are being physically injured and, you know, killed in these attacks, uh, you also see, uh, I'm sure that that does nothing to help the anxiety that all high school students feel. Yeah. constantly because they're in high school and they're just anxious <laughs> balls of misery. Um, but, but I mean, all jokes aside, you know, this is, I think that we don't fully appreciate the mental health effects that having a culture that sort of is dismissive about this problem, you know, mm-hmm. kind of facilitates. And as a culture, I think we are dismissive of the gun violence that happens in this nation. Uh because we do this, it's it's like it's like a merry-go-round, you know. The shooting happens, and then everybody gets on TV and is is miserable. And the news people are reporting the facts, and they they tell us all the information about everything, and we get all these facts. And then, and then, and then, and then nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Just, people always say uh, the the really the thing that always happens is people start to talk about and it always comes back to guns and people start talking about guns and gun control and the the response that i have heard every single time i you know quite maybe not perhaps unexpectedly from people who support the nra politicians who are in the nra's pocket um they say it's too soon it's too soon we need time to grieve and then we'll get down to work Mm -hmm. and by the time we're done grieving there's another school shooting and by the time that we're done grieving, it's not relevant anymore. Yeah, exactly. There's been more, uh, you know, pop news fodder that's replaced it mm-hmm. in our in the cultural consciousness. You know, it's not something that people are talking about. And the news can only make money if they're talking about relevant things. So, you know, hey, Ariana Grande got a tattoo. <laughs> and it said uh, barbecue grill. Yeah, it did. Wow, how crazy. 
Uh, and I mean, not even with the pop, like even more than just the pop media cycle. Like when we look at how fa- like fast paced current events have been moving lately, it's just like once like give it two weeks after a shooting occurs and it's not going to be relevant because we have another bigger global econo- epidemic happening. Yeah, that's right. And and I mean, we've talked a, a little bit, you know, this show about global things that are happening, but. Um, yeah, it's really easy for our attention to just get like thrown around. It's like a roller coaster ride. You know, we're getting whiplash from all the things that we need to focus on. But I feel like the gun violence in this country is something that can't we shouldn't be putting it off at all. We shouldn't say, you know, we need time to heal before we can start working on this. Like the the ink should be drying on the legislation that helps prevent this before the before the caskets are in the ground, Mm -hmm. you know, how else, you know, like we need to be serious about this problem because it's, it's, it's affecting, it's widespread and it's terrible and it's pretty easily preventable. I think it is maybe not easily preventable, maybe certainly not politically easy, but you know, there are some, I feel like the word common sense gun legislation gets thrown around a lot. And you either buy into that or you don't. There's there's no middle ground, I feel. It's very polarized. It's either um, assault weapons need to be banned or Second Amendment. And those are like the two. And maybe that's because I only focus on like I'm just listening to what the, the mainstream liberal media feeds me. But like that's that's the two sides of the argument that I've heard. And I've never heard that gray area before, like anywhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's always like a, you know, like a, a war of absolutes. You know, it's it's one or the other. It's either we have all the guns we want or we have no guns. And I feel like there's got to be some sort of uh, middle ground, I guess, compromise. That's a dirty mm-hmm. word in politics. Compromise. <laughs> I'm not getting everything I want. Uh, um, <laughs> right. But uh, you mean border security? <laughs> that's a totally different topic. <laughs> God, yeah, no, compromise, uh, it's hard to do in Washington nowadays. So, I mean, I feel like the only way that we're going to be able to make headway on this this epidemic of gun violence is if we remove, and this is, this is so hard to do, but remove the money that lobbyists are putting into our politics. Mm-hmm. You know, the NRA buys politicians. Let's, let's not mince our words here. They're buying politicians. Um to basically say don't don't any don't try to get a compromise polarize your uh your, your base your base of support and make people not want this you know with your actions and the way that you vote and the things that you say to the media and to your constituents and everything it's it's very calculated it's a it's a it's a PR campaign right you know uh buy someone with authority donate a bunch of money give them a a report on how pro gun they are you know, Second mm-hmm. Amendment reports, those are things you can and you can do that for any politician. You can see what score the NRA gives them. What? Why should I care what score the NRA gives a politician? Exactly. I'm not I, like, no, I focus on, you know, the that's literally asking the NRA, hey, should I vote for this person? That's and just like, outsourcing your thought, you know? It reminds me of that thing that everyone did in middle school on Instagram where you had to ask for a rate and a TBH. You know what I mean? It's just such a dirty... Like like, like my status for truth is. Yeah. 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 And it's like leaving like anonymous comments on ask.fm. And it's just like, (laughs) it's such a 
dirty way to garner popularity. <laughs> and it's just, it's not it's not like factually like it doesn't hold any it shouldn't hold any legitimacy at least so it's just it kills me that that's the entire system that we have in place to determine such important policies like this right i you know and i i guess i have to preface this by saying that i i am a firm i i support the republic i love the constitution that's big love with capital letters and the o is a heart I really like America. Very Valentine's Day themed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I want, when I desire some common sense gun legislation, I'm not talking about tearing out the Second Amendment and stomping on it and spitting mm-hmm. on it and setting it on fire and all this bad stuff. You know, there has to be, there has to be a way to use legislation to fix this problem. Mm-hmm. Because, and if you say that there isn't, then you're just giving up. And that's yeah. that's so un-American of you to do. How could you do that? And it, I completely agree with that. And it's at a point where this isn't just a loophole in the Constitution anymore. This is too big of a crisis that we can continue to ignore it and act like it's something that it'll just go away or on its own or that it's something that could ever, um, that should ever exist mm-hmm. with it. It's like it's a clear flaw in <laughs> how we wrote the Constitution because it's something that could never have been predicted. Yeah, George Washington. Could you imagine if if the the uh, Revolutionary Army had M16s? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that, would, that war would have been over yes. way quicker. But um, but no, I mean that is that is a very that's an argument that I hear a lot of people making. Say, oh well, the the founders of the Constitution, you know, weren't planning at the time that the Constitution was ratified. It was like, you know, muskets. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 had a weapon that could fire three shots a minute. And you had to wait to see the whites of their eyes. You know, yeah, exactly. So, you know, the idea of you could just swarm the shooter. Yeah. You know, really not that hard to, to disable an assassin with a weapon in that time period. But, of course, technology has gotten better and we've we've become more inventive in the ways that we kill other humans. So, you know, maybe a gross oversight on the on the on behalf of the founding fathers. Um, and I think it's just a gross oversight on our part that we think that the Constitution should not be allowed to grow with us. That's a that's a that's a very good point. I mean, the Constitution is a living document. It's there, obviously there are uh, ways to amend it. You know, there have mm-hmm. been twenty seven amendments. Twenty seven. Oh, thank God, uh, <laughs> I got that right. I know my basic U.S. civics eighth grade. Um, but yeah, you know, we need to consider that we should have a constitution that works for us now you know mm-hmm. we we need to and it's it's i'm not suggesting changing the constitution every single time we have something that we want to you know add or or repeal you know because it is a very that is the you know bottom line law of the land that is what all the other laws get judged against mm-hmm. you know so so amending and ratifying and then repealing amendments, you know, is not good. I think it should be done sparingly. But we are in technologically and uh, pretty much in every other way, too, we are in a different age. Yeah. And we can't. Tradition is important. Tradition shows us where we've come from and it helps give us an idea of our past. But, you know, we need to consider uh, adapting because Mm -hmm. without adapting, we'll just, you know, stagnate, you know, and having this situation, I still, I just feel like it just keeps getting forgotten. I feel like nobody, nobody, no politicians are actually attempting to rectify the situation with legislation. 
And all of the the solutions that I've heard are kind of crazy, like uh, giving teachers guns. Yeah. It's like or like that one um, where people were gonna put like rocks in classrooms to throw at the shooters. (laughs) Okay. Um, That was so inappropriate to laugh at, but. Seriously, but rocks? It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's we're laughing because it's ridiculous. That's that's so. It's something that's prehistoric. Could you imagine the chuckle that the school shooter would give himself? Like he walks into a classroom, in a classroom and there's twenty-seven kids with rocks. And he's like, like, oh my god, this is a cakewalk. But yeah, that's 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 ridiculous. That's crazy crazy ideas, you know. Yeah. And and with with giving teachers guns, I could tell you, like, not every teacher needs a gun. You know, there are some Absolutely bad, not. awful I would teachers. be more uncomfortable if my teachers had guns in the classroom than if we had the current system. Yeah. They they said that, you know, everybody likes to say that the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. But, like, these are – teachers are, are professionals in, like, child care and development. That's mm-hmm. their job. That's what they do, education. They're not private military. They're not security. That's not yeah. their job. You have school resource offices, officers. Um, I mean, not that they were really any help at MSD. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. He hid. Yeah. He, he waited for backup outside while there was gunfire. Hero, right? Um, but what I'm saying is, like, I feel like most of the solutions that have been offered don't really make sense. And in terms of, like, teachers having guns in the classroom, the solution to the problem of there being violence in the classroom is not to leave that perpetual reminder in there. You should just, like, eliminate the presence of violence in a classroom altogether. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Putting guns in classrooms is basically normalizing it. You're saying, mm-hmm. okay, this is something that we expect. Yeah, and you're conditioning children to think that this is okay, but it's not, and that's the entire problem that we're facing right now. Yeah, people... Children killing children at school is not normal. It's not healthy. It's not. It's not good. We shouldn't normalize it, you know. And that's that's a problem with. I think we're we're actually going to go over, but uh, that's another problem that I have with the whole media cycle surrounding these uh, these tragedies. Is that it's so repetitive. It's like an entire little process in and of itself. It's the it's the shock and the grief, and then the eventual like forgetting. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just ke- it keeps. Because it's a cycle, it gets so easy to just, you know, pass it off as something that's normal. Yeah. You know, when you see it, you know, in the in the headlines, it's like, oh, uh, that happened again, 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 again. It just keeps. And it's normalizing the again. Yeah, that's that's the big problem. That's where we need to stop. Um, I don't know how we could stop that though. I don't that's, that's the problem. Congressman, you're supposed to be smarter than me. I'm just a college student. Uh, why don't you give me something a little bit better than giving kids rocks? Whoever whoever thought that up is definitely a uh, – he's got rocks in his head. Um, all right, we are going a little bit over, so we're going to have to cut it here. This was pretty successful for only having two people. Yeah. Uh, you know, total personnel – mix up but uh hey whatever who cares um i hope you all enjoyed listening to this if you want to listen to more uh you should tune in on friday i'm not going to be there though i am going on sabbatical to a boys camp i'm going to be uh drinking some lemonade uh, making some bacon and eggs and having a grand old time so uh, i will see y'all some other point in the future i'm going to leave you with that dr dog that i love i don't really 
know if you guys like it or not, but I'm going to leave you with it anyway. Take care. Bye.